Hi, guys. It's me, Professor D, and welcome back to my podcast. Last week, I covered uh, hypertension. However, I did not cover the medications to help control hypertension. You guys are going to get at least three questions on hypertensive meds, and that's because you will see it so much working in the clinical setting. Okay, so I'm going to cover the most important things you need to know about the anti-hypertensive meds. Now, first things first, you need to know that um, thiazide diuretics, they are our first line of treatment when it comes to hypertension. Thiazide diuretics, first line. Now, specifically speaking, when we're talking about the thiazide diuretics, I know we often see it on the floor. So as nurses, what do you think is going to be the first line treatment when it comes to thiazide diuretics? You'd think what? Hydrochlorothiazide, right? Wrong. Evidence-based practice has shown chlorothiazide. Guys, you know I can't pronounce it. You follow me for any amount of time. You know I can't. But chlorothylidone, chlorothylidone is the number one preferred thiazide, not hydrochlorothiazide, okay? That is important to know. So, ladies and gentlemen, what is the number one preferred diuretic, thiazide diuretic? Chlorothylidone. That is our number one, okay? Now, some imp- something important you need to know about it besides knowing that it's our preferred um, uh, thiazide. You need to know it provides uh, more consistent 24-hour blood pressure control than hydrochlorothiazide, and that's why we prefer that over the hydrochlorothiazide, all right? Starting starting dose, remember, guys, we always start uh, low and go slow, especially with the older adults, right? So our initial dosage, you're going to start at about 12.5 milligrams per day and then move up as needed, Okay, but that's going to be your base. So that's the most important thing you need to know about your chlorothalidone. Now let's talk about the uh, hydrochlorothiazide, which we all love. Um, Some important things to know about the hydrochlorothiazide. Boards loves to ask about this, and they usually put this uh, concept as a type of patient teaching. So I'm just going to tell you what it is and just make sure you know it. So however it's flipped to you, you're going to be able to answer the question. And it's the action of the drug, and that's easy. Basically, what this drug does is it decreases the plasma volume. And the way it does that is it helps the patient get rid of sodium and chloride and, of course, you know, fluids of water right? So you're definitely going to be watching for signs and symptoms of dehydration with this patient, but they love asking about the action of this drug as a patient teaching. So there you go. It decreases um, the circulating volume that is in the vessels by helping the patient excrete sodium and chloride. So you're specifically going to be looking at those lab values. You're going to be watching out for hypokalemia, Okay, about two weeks after um, you started the patient on hydrochlorothiazide, by the way, guys, remember, we start low and go slow. So your initial um, dosage that you're going to start with the hydrochlorothiazide is going to be 25 milligrams per day. So when we were talking about our first line drug, which was the chlorothylidone, you guys know I can't pronounce, it was what, 12.5 milligrams per day, the highest initial starting dose for the chlorothylidone would be 25, but usually we start at 12.5 milligrams a day. But the hydrochlorothiazide, look at the initial dose that I just said. Well, listen to me, guys. The initial dose that I just said is 25 milligrams per day. Do you need to know this? Yes, you do. 
Now, two important things you're going to check for before you even prescribe this for a patient. Number one, make sure they don't have a sulfonamide allergy. And number two, make sure they don't have anuria. Because what does this medication uh, do? It makes them urinate. So if they have anuria, that, anuria, that is contraindicated. You are not going to prescribe this diuretic. All right, next, let's talk about the potassium sparing diuretics. You know that S in sparing means to save the patients holding on to potassium. You have to keep that in mind. So obviously, one of the most important lab values you're going to be looking is that patient's potassium level. And the first check you're going to do is about two weeks after you've started that patient on this medication. You're going to order those um, lab draws to see what that potassium looks like because that's about how long it takes for it to be circulating the system for us to have an accurate picture of what that patient's potassium is going to uh, be looking like. Now, the dosage that you're going to start the patient on when it comes to the potassium-sparing diuretics, such as your spironolactone, right? You're going to start them on 12.5 milligrams a day. Now, if a patient's in stage two hypertension and they have to get not one, but two hypertensive meds, usually the potassium sparing diuretic is what's going to be given with the thiazide diuretic. The potassium sparing diuretic helps. It enhances the action of the thiazide diuretic. So usually you'll see that the potassium sparing diuretic is given with the thiazide or uh, the loop is given with the thiazide. All right. So. Keeping with the uh, potassium, spare di- potassium sparing diuretic. Why am I talking so fast? I'm acting like I, I don't have enough time here. Um, still talking about the spir- spironolactone, your potassium sparing diuretic. We're going to start on 12.5 milligrams. Two weeks after you write the, um, the prescription for the patient, you're going to get those labs drawn and you want to see what their potassium level is. Now, important contraindication for potassium sparing diuretics that you absolutely need to know. You cannot order this for a patient that, again, has anuria. And guys, this goes across the board for all diuretics, period. Um, a patient that has anuria, but also if the patient is in acute uh, kidney failure, you cannot order this medication. That's a direct contraindication. And of course, if the patient has hyperkalemia, because this, you know, this uh, medication already makes you hold on to your potassium. So if the patient has hyperkalemia, you mess around and order this medication for the patient, you're going to throw them in dysrhythmias, right? So hyperkalemia, anuria, if they're in the kidney failure, you cannot order potassium sparing diuretics. All right, next, let's talk about loop diuretics. Remember I told you if the patient is in stage two hypertension, they're going to be on two antihypertensive medications. They're going to be a thiazide and a loop or a potassium sparing diuretic. So I talked about the potassium sparing diuretic. Let's talk about the loop diuretics. Example of your loop diuretics is what? Furosemide, your Lasix. Okay, so the loop diuretics, your furosemide, this is much more potent than your thiazide. We tend to use uh, this type of medication for patients who are going through uh, fluid overload, and we need to get that fluid down. Uh, initial dosage, pay attention to this. Initial dosage is going to be about 20 to 40 milligrams twice a day. I didn't say daily. What did I say? I said twice a day. And usually I said 20 to 40, but usually you're going to start at the 20 and move up as as needed. Okay. now some other important things that you need to know about your loop diuretics. This is your second line therapy 
after thiazides. So remember thiazides, that is our first line therapy for hypertension. And if we're going to be specific, what type of thiazide is first line treatment? Your chlorothylidone, that is your first line, right? But right after that, in second place, is your loop diuretics, your Lasix. That is your second line therapy after your thiazides. And of course, guys, we're going to start low, go slow, especially in the older adults. Why? You have to remember the older adults, it's the wear and tear of the body. The kidneys not working the way it used to. Remember, the kidneys are responsible for excreting the medications. The liver's not working the way it's supposed to. Remember, the liver is responsible for metabolizing and breaking down those medications. So if those two very important organs aren't working up to par, these medications are going to stay in the patient system longer and patient has a higher risk of toxicity. So while the patient is on these type of meds, you better be checking these liver functions. You better be looking at the ALT and the AST. You better be checking the kidney function. You better be looking at that BUN and creatinine. All right, let's talk about our ACE inhibitors. These are the meds that end in Pril. If you've been following me for any amount of time, I always remind you the way you remember this is when I was in nursing school, I was in academic competition with a girl by the name of April. I loved her death. She was so sweet. But she always had high grades and I always had I always had high grades. So whenever a test would come out, we'd always look to see whose grade was higher. It was either she or I, but, you know, we'd alternate. But I remember her name was April, and she always aced her exams. So our ACE inhibitors and in Pril. Some important things you need to know for testing when it comes to the ACE inhibitors. If the patient is not on a diuretic, your starting dose for that patient is going to be 10 milligrams per day. Slowly, you'll move them up to 20 to 40 per day, depending on how well the patient's doing, but your starting dose is going to be 10 milligrams per day. That's if they're not on any diuretics. If the patient is on a diuretic, you have to significantly lower that first dose that you give them. The initial dose is going to be 5 milligrams a day. Then gradually, you'll move up to about 20, maybe 40 milligrams per day, depending on how the patient's doing. However, that initial um, dosage is going to be 5 milligrams per day if they're on diuretics. But if they're not on diuretics, it's going to be 10 milligrams a day. You're going to start low, go slow, and um, you can move it up to if the patient is not on diuretic, they'll go from 10 milligrams a day to 20, maybe 40 right? But the max is going to be 80. We're not going to touch that. Then if the patient is on diuretics, remember, you're going to start them at about five milligrams per day, but then you can gradually move them to, again, same thing, 20 to 40. 80 is going to be the max, but guys, I'm telling you for testing purposes, you're not going anywhere near that. All right? Some very important things for you to know about the ACE inhibitors. Dry cough, that is a common side effect. You have to teach the patient in advance. If you develop a cough, let us know and we will switch your medication because if you don't teach that to the patient, they're going to think that, okay, I have this cough and it's not going to go away and they're going to just stop taking the med and then you're going to have bigger problems on your hand. So that is a huge teaching. You're going to teach them that in advance. Some adverse effects you're going to watch out for, um, hyperkalemia, kidney failure, hypotension. Something else um, I see this pops up on questions a lot that you need to know about the ACE inhibitors. Angioedema. Even though this happens very rarely, this is life-threatening. 
And we tend to see this more in black patients. So there's so many other drugs on the market. This is our ACE inhibitors. That is not our first line go-to drug for hypertension, especially if that patient's African-American, okay? Um, but something else you need to keep in mind with the ACE inhibitors, this drug is preferred in patients who are also uh, diabetic and have heart failure. All right, guys, so we can't talk about our ACEs without talking about our ARBs. So our ARBs, our angiotensin receptor blockers, these are meds and in Sartan, okay? I said Sartan, S-A-R-T-A-N, not to be confused with Statin, S-T-A-T-I-N. We talked about lipids maybe uh, two audio lessons ago, uh, two podcasts ago. Do not confuse the two. So with the ARBs, they end in Sartan. Some very important things you guys need to know about uh, the ARB. A great thing about uh, ARB, there is um, no cough that often comes with the ACE inhibitors. So this is a good med. If that patient develops uh, a cough, you can switch to the ARBs because with the ARBs, they don't get that cough. If the patient is not on any diuretics, your starting dose is going to be about 16 milligrams per day, and then you'll gradually move them up to possibly uh, 32 milligrams per day, and you can split that in half to make it, you know, half twice a day or in a single dose. But 32 per day, that is the max that the patient's going to get. And one more very important thing you have to know about the ARBs, be very, very, very careful with the patients who are dehydrated or have kidney issues. Okay, we have much better things on the market that we can give the patient that's hypertensive if they have kidney issues. Be very careful. That's not going to be our uh, first two drug that we're going to prescribe if the patient is either dehydrated or has kidney issues. All right, let's talk about beta blockers. The first type we're going to talk about is the cardioselective ones, the ones that um, directly affect uh, the heart. Now, when it comes to hypertension, the beta blockers, contrary to popular belief, they are not our first, second, or even third line of treatment drugs that we want to run to because we have much better um, options on the market. However, there are certain comorbidities that the beta blockers are actually better. So if the patient just had an MI, um, if the patient's in heart failure, they have heart disease, the beta blocker will be a great choice for that patient that's also hypertensive, okay? Now, remember what the beta blocker does. It slows things down like that heart, right? It slows things down, brings things down. That blood pressure brings it down. Be very careful. Let's talk about dosage, initial dosage. For the adult, is going to be 400 milligrams a day. You can give it in one dose or split it, have the patient take 200 in the morning, 200 in the evening. Your max is going to be 1,200 milligrams per day. For testing purposes, I promise you guys, you are not going to go near it. Um, when it comes to testing, remember, you're testing for entry level for that NP. So usually the questions that you get are going to be geared towards initial or maintenance dosage. Um, something very important, they questioned um, about this a lot on the exam. You have to teach the patient, never, ever, ever, ever stop taking this medication abruptly. 
And with the cardioselective beta blockers, guys, you know your, what your beta blockers are. They end in the lol, LOL. You want to be very careful in patients that have uh, diabetes because remember, the action of the beta blocker, it might mask those signs and symptoms of hypoglycemia. So you're going to be very careful with that. And you are going to be very careful in... Matter of fact, I'm not even going to say careful because for testing purposes, you are not going to prescribe this medication for a patient that has, you know, some kind of restrictive air, airway disease such as COPD or asthma. And I know that when it comes to cardioselective beta blockers, you're one that it acts primarily on the heart. But guys, I've been doing this for a long time. Please trust me. When it comes to testing purposes, even Though some, you know, some literature may say, you know, be cautious, I'm telling you, avoid. You always want to err on the side of uh, precaution. You always want to be the prudent prescriber. And so if the patient has a restrictive airway disease, such as asthma and COPD, you are not going to order a cardioselective or non-cardioselective beta blocker. You're not going to take that chance, especially when we have so many other alternatives on the market. Now, let me go back to the dosage because I told you about the dosage, but I don't, I'm not sure if I mentioned which particular beta blocker I was describing. When I talked to you about the dosage of 400 milligrams per day, the patient could get it, you know, in one dose or split. I was speaking specifically about acetabutalol. Okay. Um, if you're going to be ordering the um, more popular atenolol, that's a huge difference. With the tenolol, your initial dosage is only going to be 50 milligrams per day. Okay, slowly you may move them up to 100 milligrams per day, but often you won't even have to. You're going to start at that 50 milligrams per day and see how that patient does. But I want you to notice the huge difference in dosage, dosing. With the tenolol, what are you going to start at? 50 milligrams per day. And then after a week or two, you're going to recheck the patient, see how they're doing, and see if you can keep them there or possibly have to move them up. All right, let's talk about our non-cardioselective beta blockers. You guys know what they do, decrease the heart rate, the blood pressure, cardiac output, okay? These also end in our LOL, LOL. Also, absolutely contraindication contraindicated patients with asthma, COPD, any type of bronchoconstrictive airway disease. Again, you're going to watch, um, be very careful in uh, giving this to patients with diabetes because of the signs and, um, excuse me, because of the action of this medication, it may mask those signs and symptoms of hypoglycemia. Regardless of the type of beta blocker the patient is on, they cannot stop the drug um, abruptly they are going to have to be tapered off. And you have to warn the patient um, that it's going to take a solid two weeks before this medication is really in their system that we start to see an effect. If you don't tell them that, they're going to be home checking their blood pressure all the time, and they're going to say, oh, this isn't working, and they're going to start to be noncompliant and just stop taking their medication. So you have to warn them and have them come back in two weeks to check. Okay, calcium channel blockers, they end in P, in P-I-N-E. Nicardipine, nifedipine, okay? Some important things to watch out for, hypotension, worsening of heart failure, ankle edema, 
Who um, would this be a good choice for to give uh, calcium channel blockers, such as you know our amlodipine? Who would we give this to? Patient who patient who has isolated systolic hypertension. Um, we can give this to a patient for migraine prophylaxis or patients with stable angina. Something else is very important to know. And I, t- I think I talked to you guys about this before. Um, there's some serious drug interactions with grapefruit juice. I don't remember which, I don't know if it was a podcast or audio lesson or what, but I talked to you guys about this. Guys, grapefruit juice is no, no, across the board, across the board. It interacts with so many medications. So whenever you get a test question, if it's grapefruit, fruit, stay away from it. Okay, guys, so regardless of uh, what you order for the paper patient for the hypertension, they come back in two weeks. After that first follow-up, you can um, keep up with your patient, you know, monthly until uh, they reach that, that goal of the blood pressure that you want them to have. Then after that, they can come for follow-up every three months or so. So initially, right after you prescribe the antihypertension, you're going to have them come in in two weeks. And then after that, every month until they reach their blood pressure goal, and then they can come every three months for follow-up. Now, if you cannot get that blood pressure under control, that patient has severe hypertension, you're going to have to punt that patient. What do I mean by punt? They're going to have to get a referral to cardiology. You've done all you can. Okay, you're still going to follow them. However, you need to get cardiology involved. Why? Because of what can happen. Stroke, coronary artery disease, heart failure, hypertensive crisis, the list goes on. So you're going to try your best, but if you cannot get that blood pressure control, that patient has severe hypertension, you're going to have to write a referral for cardiology. And guys, that is our hypertensive uh medications. I hope you found this podcast to be helpful. Um, This is really new to me because uh, for years and years, over a decade, I've been uh, helping RN LPN students. And this is, I've gotten it for so many years. So many people said, you know, what about us? What about us? And so I decided to do something for NP students. I hope you found this helpful. I would love to get your thoughts, suggestions, please uh, email me at nexusnursingpodcast at gmail.com. Let me know what you think, what you'd like to hear about. And please, I'm asking you if you enjoy this content and you want to hear more, help me grow. Please share my content. Anyone you know that's in the program, that's newly graduated, that's studying, please share my content with them. I'd love to hear from you. Again, nexusnursing at podcast. Nexus nursing podcast at gmail.com. All right, guys, you'll hear from me next week.